Welcome to Making America Strong Again, the only program dedicated to inspire you and to inspire a nation with stories of American exceptionalism and national restoration. Join fellow patriots as we rediscover our past, reignite our future, and celebrate America now. Welcome to Making America Strong Again. This is Steve Old. It's my privilege to be with you today from our studios in South Florida. I'd like to welcome many of our new listeners who have been downloading our podcast on iTunes. And we appreciate you sharing the word and getting the idea of making America strong again out to everybody you know through our radio program, through our PatriotPodcast.com site, and generally by sharing the insights and ideas that come through the program and from many of the people that we speak with during our time. Today we have a special guest with us who is a gentleman that has a a ton of experience in the business world, also as a Navy veteran, and most importantly, in full disclosure, is now serving as the Chief Financial Officer and General Counsel for Patriot Mission. So he's keeping keeping me out of trouble and making sure we we go down the straight and narrow. Steve Young. Steve, welcome to the program. Thank you, Steve. Happy to be here. So many of you may remember Steve. He and David Wolf and Joe Balskis had a conversation back several months ago and talked about kind of the big picture about what's happening in the world of business and entrepreneurship. And today we want to drill down a little more focused conversation because small business is obviously the cornerstone of our model. We're rebuilding America through the power of small business. But many times small businesses begin, as Michael Gerber talks about, when somebody who's very successful at doing something skilled, a technician who suffers what Michael calls an entrepreneurial seizure. They wake up one day, they're really good at doing what they do, they decide to fire them, fire their boss and go to work for a lunatic, namely themselves. They become an entrepreneur, they go down that path, and they begin to discover lots of things that they had no earthly idea about when it comes to running a business. Uh, as one that had an entrepreneurial seizure, I understand this very clearly. And one of the places that many business owners have very little clue about is in the financial world. In other words, we may have a product or service that we think is just fantastic. Sometimes the market agrees with us, sometimes it doesn't. But if we don't really understand money and understand how it impacts our company, even if it's a fledgling business that just starts with a brand new idea, then we could be in for a rude awakening as we go down the road. So one of the things we'd like to talk to Steve about is how do we begin to really get smart, especially whether we're starting a new business or we have an existing company, how do we look at it through the right financial lens? But before we drill down into that, Steve, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and how it is that you uh, came to grow and develop your career? I, I kind of came with this because after my 10-year career in the Navy, uh, <clears throat> I got a business degree, a master's in business, and uh, through that process, I realized that uh, my long-term idea was to become a lawyer, so I then got a GED. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with two degrees, that was enough, right? Uh, and uh, I uh, practiced law for a little bit in a big law firm in New England, uh, then I uh, got recruited to go to United Technologies, a big corporation where I first practiced law, and I got, um, because I was older and 
because I had an MBA, because I had some military background. I got through on all the crazy deals, and I happen to like crazy deals, and so that was a lot <laughs> of fun. What are you saying, man? Are you saying something in particular I should be concerned about? That's why I'm here, buddy. Okay, that's good. <laughs> you know that by now. Um, so I had a good time doing that, and then uh, United Technology sent me overseas, and uh, I eventually got into operations and management, which was a lot of fun and a lot of challenges. But for a long time, I kind of harbored, as you have, the entrepreneurial seizure. And in my case, my brother, my brother Fred, uh, a Marine, unfortunately, but uh, that probably did him in good stead. <laughs> my brother had, after leaving the Marine Corps with a lot of computer background, has started his own business. And as he likes to say, uh, since he was 25 and having left the Marine Corps and then a small computer firm that he worked for, has really only made all the money he's made as in his entrepreneurial venture. And he became a Gerber devotee and understood the difference between working in and working on your business. And he and I, through our little small company mentor business group, began to sort of figure out how we could help consult people, like from the corporate end, from the top down, Fred, from the bottom up. And we looked at what it took to help an entrepreneur get things done. Obviously, the big corporation really spends a lot of time on financials, and we spend a lot of time analyzing and spreadsheeting and working them all out. But the small guy, before you even get to the big financials, you need to think about where you're coming from, where you want to go, and how you capture the data that you need to have in your financial plan. Well, you also talk a lot about starting with getting real assessments, right? Looking at yourself, <laughs> are you really equipped to move into the business environment? Are you, is your, is your concept uh, strong enough? And is your plan good? I mean, assessment is a key part even before you get to the money, isn't it? I think you have to, that an entrepreneur has to assess everything they're doing from the get-go. And I think the, fir the first thing that an entrepreneur needs to do is really assess what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what assets do they have, do they really, do they have an idea that they think will sell, and then how do you take that idea forward? So for me, I, as you know, I like to think in threes because I think threes are three stools, three legs to the stool are easy to understand. So first, you need to assess yourself and what your concept is. Then you need to assess your market, your targets, how you might want to go after them. And third, you need to assess and continue to modify your execution of the plan that you come up with because in the end of the day, execution is everything. And that also has a lot to do with the people that you surround yourself with, right? I mean, what, what's, your, what's your position on building a team, how the assessment that you make of yourself ought to lead to folks that can support you, isn't it? You got to have, you got to have the right people and you got to be willing. I mean, we, we in our, in our consulting and investing business, uh, apart from Patriot Mission, we look at how coachable the entrepreneur might be. That is how easy it is for him to talk to somebody else and find advice. In my case, I, I can find ideas and advice anywhere. But what the entrepreneur needs to do is to be able to ask good questions and be willing to take the answers that he might not want to hear. That's hard to believe. Like some of our brilliant ideas may not always hit the mark. And, and sometimes if you actually listen to the advice, it saves you from having to get in, uh, absolutely beat up in the marketplace because you didn't listen. One of the things also that you, that you talk about a lot is getting clear on where it is that you're sitting. In other words, the entrepreneur is sitting in the driver's seat of a venture it's hard sometimes to step out of that role and look at your venture from another perspective, especially the perspective that, that an investor, for example, would look at the business. How would you coach a new business owner, somebody maybe that's in a startup role? 
How do you begin to look at your business from an investor's point of view? I think what you do is uh, you try to seek out others who have been in your position. Uh, what And what we've developed in a lot of the – I've sit on the board of several incubators in the Northeast, and we've tried to develop tools. So there are lots of books out there that an entrepreneur can seek about how to write a business plan and how to do some of the details, but you need to step back and you kind of say – uh, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish and what are the key, the key goals and the metrics that I would use to measure how I make those, those accomplishments? I mean, as you know, I often say that an entrepreneur needs to think like an investor. You know, where an entrepreneur thinks he has a great idea, uh, the investor says, oh, well, and, and lots of people have these ideas. What are you going to do that's different? How will that be competitive? Where the entrepreneur says, I have the wonderful idea that will kill all these giants, the investor's thinking, yes, and those giants will squash you like a bug when you're out there. <laughs> when, when, when an entrepreneur thinks, oh, my sales are going to grow like a hockey stick, and you've all seen that, right, after every entrepreneur <laughs> presents a business plan that says, I'm going to go from zero to 50 million in five years. That's a standard. <laughs> the, the investor says, I don't think so, not without some traction. So, so I guess what I like to say is the perspective that you have on a business depends upon where you sit. If you're the entrepreneur, uh, you think you've got a great idea, then people are going to beat a path to your door. If you're, the, if you're the investor, you see risk. The entrepreneur mm-hmm. sees rewards. The investor sees it the back way. And you just got to think about what does somebody else see in your perspective when you're coming after them and ask that question. And they'll tell you because investors are smart and they want to show you how much smarter they are than you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting process. And it's one that a lot of people, especially now in America, one of the things that we've talked about is that there are, are – let's just say, generational challenges with developing what we used to call in the flying business, thick skin. You need to have thick skin because so many people, they get their little feelings hurt when somebody says something that they perceive is is mean to them or they take their idea and, and give them some raw feedback. And part of what I believe is absolutely crucial is that an entrepreneur and actually anybody in the business needs to be willing to say, let's go to the meat of the matter. Let's find out if you have expertise in the area, I want to know what you think. I want to be able to catalog it. It doesn't mean I have to take every input that somebody gives me as an entrepreneur, but I have to be willing to put my personal feelings aside and just take it. Because if you have that expertise, I want to know what that is. And if I choose to turn you off and say, well, obviously he doesn't get the brilliance of my plan, even though he's been investing in companies for decades and I've invested in nothing, um, why doesn't he get it? Do you see that in the incubator process? Oh, sure. And I think think the point that you make about uh, the way the military might debrief a thing and having thick skins and sort of being able to check your ego at the door when you go into the room and critique either a process or an evolution or performance is is a great thing. And I think a lot of businesses now, um, a lot of corporations are looking at how they can adapt some of the debriefing techniques that a military might use to sort of better extract from the critique of a performance event what what lessons can be learned and how you can improve them and i mean i often i often ask of myself i need to find a way to ask better questions keep asking better questions that keep drilling down. I mean, I won't take credit for that. That came from something I read or heard from Tony Robbins uh, years ago. But I try, to, I try to impress upon the people that are trying to build a business, keep asking questions. And those who you will ask those questions of will have ideas that you'll be able to factor into your approach. That's, that's a great point, Steve. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about those questions, those questions that lead to assumptions, the assumptions that lead to how we develop our business model and actually why it's critical 
critical look at the assumptions before you ever get into the money part of it because that can come. And I, uh, I agree. We talked last week about Dr. Stephen Covey, and one of the quotes that he said that always stuck with me is that feedback is a breakfast of champions. So if you're willing to take that feedback in, you can develop all sorts of growth, especially when you realize that anybody that's willing to invest feedback in you is making a personal investment in your life and in your future. We'll be right back. Making America Strong Again is brought to you by Patriot Mission. To learn more about national restoration, get free resources at www.makingamericastrongagain.com. This is Steve Schwartz with pdgo.com. We've been in business for over 15 years and have created over a thousand websites for clients across the USA and across the world. We help our clients have a custom, affordable website, and we teach them personally how they can very easily update the information on their websites themselves anytime they want to without being a techie. Take a look at pdgo.com and see samples of our work and testimonials that clients have said about our service. pdgo.com. Again, pdgo.com. At SurfPro of Vero Beach, no job is too big and no question is too small. So when fire, water, or mold damage strikes your home or business, call on SurfPro of Vero Beach at 772-770-0501. That's where you'll find a team of specialists that's faster to any size disaster. So when the things that matter most are on the line, make sure SurfPro of Vero Beach is too by calling 772-770-0501. That's SurfPro of Vero Beach, helping make fire, water, and mold damage like it never, ever happened. Franchises are independently owned and operated. Hi, this is Kelly Fisher, a supporter of the Making America Strong Again mission and your local real estate professional here on the Treasure Coast. It has been my honor to serve our community here in Vero Beach since 2003. And with over 1,500 home sales over the past 21 years, it's my hope that you will consider the Kelly Fisher team at Treasure Coast Sotheby's International Realty for all your real estate needs. It's also our desire that every family has a home and every home has a family. And we have partnered with the Homeless Family Center of Vero Beach to work toward that goal. When you buy or sell a home with the Kelly Fisher team, we will make a substantial contribution toward alleviating homelessness in our hometown. To be a part of this great mission, please call us at 772-321-6905. Welcome back to Making America Strong Again, the program dedicated to inspire you and to inspire a nation with stories of American exceptionalism and national restoration. Once again, here's your host, Steve Olds. Welcome back to the program. Again, today I'm privileged to be with Steve Young, who is now uh, in town from Connecticut and part-time in Jacksonville and doing a great work with us as our uh, chief financial officer, helping us really look at at how we build our business model of national restoration. But Steve, before the break, we were talking about why it's important to understand assumptions and how assumptions lead to a lot of decisions that you make before you actually hit the market and go to work. How, how do you view assumptions and, and where do you begin to uh, focus your attention? 
Let's talk about levels. I think from a first, uh, a first instance, uh, you want to make assumptions about the business. And that, that will come from what is the market opportunity that I'm trying to capture? I mean, in our, in our, in our case, it's we want to help build small businesses. And so some of our assumptions about what, what is it that small businesses need? They need to have some entrepreneurial training. They need to have a network. They need to have advisors. And so the first set of assumptions you ask are, what, what do I think the market needs? And what do I think then I can provide that the market needs? And how do I provide it better than what the other competition might be? So, so big level, what are the business assumptions that I have that's driving the business model that I'm trying to implement? The second set of assumptions revolves around financials. I mean, I'll just give you a story. When I got my MBA, I got it just as the, uh, the time that computers, uh, you know, uh, small laptops, at that time they weren't so small. They were IBM, <laughs> IBM ATs, right? That was back uh, in the 1930s. Wasn't it? <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Olson. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but just at the time when you know, the smaller computers uh, were, were coming, in, you know, desktops were coming into play. And going through the MBA program, we used to have to write down our assumptions before we kind of worked out manual spreadsheets and then, you know, put them into some kind of a form. But the computers, computers systemize all this. Those of you who are of my vintage will remember VisiCalc and then we moved up to Excel and then things, things kind of got on about it. But what what setting the assumptions down on paper made us do was identify how we thought the sales will come, how many units that would take, what the costs were going to be. What's happened now is people go right to their spreadsheets and they put in a bunch of numbers and then they fill out the, they just kind of fill out the summer of the forms and into the new sales and they let the thing explode without really understanding what your financial assumptions are. And I think uh, the old way, sometimes the combination of the old way of writing out your assumptions about your financials and then putting them into a spreadsheet are helpful. Well, you know, one of the things I've noticed about assumptions, especially with the math, the math always seems to work. My, my brilliant calculations about how this idea and what you talked about in the first segment about um, what does the market really want? What are they willing to pay for? What does it cost you to produce that which they're willing to pay for? And, and are you competitive? And I also find, especially as a solo entrepreneur, you can tell yourself a lot of stories that you think are just absolutely brilliant. But many times an investor, as you said from the beginning, can look at things and give you a bit of a wake-up call, can't they? Sure. I mean, I mean, no, no question. And that's, this is why it gets back to the way we think is sometimes the older you get, you realize, you realize how smarter I'm, you're not. And so, you, <laughs> and so you need to be asking other better, continuing to ask better questions. I think I should also say that there's a lot of demystification that we need to do for the financials. I mean, people that have good ideas and the people that are, are looking to join Patriot Mission are looking to us for some help on, on the financials. You can really look at the financials in, in Again, in three pieces. Piece one is, okay, the revenue lines. Just think about all the stuff that goes into, into building revenues. It's your top-line growth, and it's products and services and what the, what the, what the uh, price of those are going to be. The second bit is, is, is everything you might look in a QuickBooks uh, session. It's all those costs, the cost of doing business. So that is part two. And then from revenues and then all the costs that kind of get summed up, it all falls out to the bottom line as profit. So you can demystify what the financials really are. You can, you guys, will, you can figure them out. Just look at the revenue lines, sum all your costs, and you can see what falls out at the bottom. It's pretty easy once you have that in a spreadsheet form. Well, and I think part of the challenge that we've seen, we've seen it internally, we've seen it across the board with different companies, is that there is a, a process that entrepreneurs go through where they really fall in love with their idea. That's what drives us to do what we do. The problem is that if we're not willing to 
study the assumptions and look at the hard facts that go along with those ideas, then a lot of times we make significant decisions that don't serve the company, don't serve the consumer, and may in fact lead to the demise of a company. One of the things that you and I have talked about offline has to do with your experience as a CEO of a public company, a big public company, and why you really have to know your numbers and why you have to track things well. And even if you're not a public company, even if you're a company of one or a company of a husband and wife sitting at home around the kitchen table, looking at those numbers and being able to put them down and read them and understand them is crucial. Isn't it? It's not just something you don't just ship this out to your accountant. You, as the owner of that company, have to know what this stuff means. Yeah, I mean, I used to get I used to get quizzed by people from the press, and they always have an agenda, and you have to know that they have an agenda. And when you're with a public company, as as I was, um, and you're speaking, you had to, and we were listed on the stock market. Again, this was overseas, but still, we're listed on the market, and you had to be careful about what was public and what was not public, and what you could say. So this meant you had to be able to have the numbers in the back of your head, like inventory and what the cost was, and and realize when you listen to the question, what you could answer about what, what that what that question was. So if you're willing to give yourself that level of scrutiny or if you're willing to invite an advisory group around you who you trust enough to tell you the truth, you're not looking for people to just tell you what you want to hear because there's no, there's no personal development and growth in that process. But especially around the numbers, I can tell you that, that you and a number of our other advisors on our advisory board, including Michael Gerber, are very clear on show me the numbers, the sales, how long did the sales cycle take, what was the profit margin in it? Did the numbers continue to grow? Over, you know, all all those kinds of questions that if you don't have those answers, you end up in a swirling dervish that produces a result that makes people very frustrated. Um, what is the – I think one of the challenges a lot of entrepreneurs face, no matter what business they're operating in, is that point where you have the assumptions, you have your plan – and you have a choice. You can continue to work on those plan and assumptions until you're out of business, or you can actually go to the market and you've got enough testing done that you say, okay, I'm confident enough to go to the market. When, when, how do you make that decision? Where do you get there? You know, I mean, I think when you're there and you get frustrated, you just need to go out and test it. I mean, as you're, what you're leading to is the question of when you test assumptions. you got to test them. And the only really way to test them is to do a couple things. One, you, you alluded to one, and that's talk to advisors. See what they say. And they'll ask good questions. What about this? What about how you're going to market it? How are you going to deliver it? How are you going to sell it? But then you ought to go out and test it. And and we use something in, in the MBG program sometimes called a lean launch program. Before you have everything developed, you go out and you test and you test what you think your product is going to be. And, and you see if uh, and if the people will sort of step up, pay the price. Or as some people often says, will the customers eat the dog food? And mm-hmm. and you got to and you got to try to make that happen. So is that kind of like <clears throat> a minimum viable product? Exactly. Is that what that is? Exactly. Or or in, in the military vernacular, it's, you know, version 1.0 of mm-hmm. your program with the understanding that you're going to be able to modify that to make version 2 and 3. So there's, there's part of this that is, especially as the entrepreneur, you're wearing multiple hats. And being able to understand the hat that you're wearing and also being willing to look at one of the things that's been very helpful to me is an organizational chart. Even if the only person in the company is you – your role as a chief executive officer, your role as a marketing person, as a salesperson, as the person who's doing fulfillment to deliver the product or service, not only do you have to look at those roles, but there are costs associated with those roles. If I'm 
real new at business and I'm trying to figure out how do I look at my – I want to have a good financial discussion. I want to sit with an investor. What are some of the things that you would recommend a new business owner do and be prepared to go sit down and ask an investor to, to look and give them serious critique? Well, I think I think you have to have uh, you have to have your plan. You have to say here is the here's the market opportunity I'm going after. Uh, here's my solution to that opportunity. Here's the magic of my solution. Here's why it's better. Here's my business model and why how I will make money with my business model. Here's why it's better than the competition. Here's my go to market approach. What's my strategy for being able to do that? Here are the metrics behind all that approach. I've studied the market. I've seen where it's going. I've seen what the competitors are doing. Here's my team. As you said earlier, we have to have a team. You have to have an internal team and maybe an external board of advisors. Here's the risks that I see. I, most guys don't talk to their investors about risk. That's what investors are all about. And so here's the risk that I see, but here's the strategies I'm undertaking to be able to address those particular risks. And finally, what am I going to do next time? What are the, what's the next steps? How am I going to get after them? And if I could leave entrepreneurs with a couple of thoughts is find a way to see your business through first your potential customer's eyes and second, through your investor's eyes. Sometimes you have to do investors first because you won't go anywhere without investors. But find a way to be looking at how other people look at you and your business. And second, be patient. you got to always be ready to prefer to keep learning new things. Remember, you often don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and the way you find that out is to ask better questions. And third, be persistent. As Steve knows me to say, repetition breeds retention, and objections overcoming them builds character. Awesome. Steve, thanks for your time today. Let's go get them. Thank you, sir. Making America Strong Again is brought to you by Patriot Mission. To learn more about national restoration, get free resources at www.makingamericastrongagain.com. 